You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Transformers, Part 3. Enjoy. Hallelujah. So we're going to learn our options right now. God has options for us. Isn't that awesome? It's so good to know that I don't have to continue struggling anymore. I don't have to continue being depressed, discouraged, sick, lacking, confused. I don't have to wonder anymore. I can, I can have real answers that make a real difference in my real life, and it's through the real Jesus. We're in a series right now uh, called Transformers, and uh, we're talking about the transforming power of Christ. He makes us new, and we hearken back to a sci-fi cartoon in the 1980s that came on the scene uh, called Transformers. And it was about these alien beings that crash-landed on planet Earth. And there are good guys, the Autobots, and the bad guys, the Decepticons, like deception, you know, pretty clever. And uh, they were in this battle to find an energy source. And the Decepticons would deceive and lie and steal, and the Autobots were protecting the Earth's people. And there's a little snippet from their song that we grabbed that illustrates our point, and it says... Transformers, more than meets the eye. Yeah, awesome. And uh, there's more to them than meets the eye. So who they really were was deeper than the eye could see. And the same is true of you. There's a whole lot more to you than meets the eye. And there's a whole lot more to life than meets the eye. There's a whole lot more to you than your senses can detect. What our senses, our senses can mislead us, first of all, but what they can detect is just a teeny tiny tip of the iceberg of life, right? So we said last week that the real you is a spirit. And that's so important to understand, that the real you is a spirit. This body is really not who you are. It's just what you're living in right now. It's your, the suit that you're wearing. So the real you is a spirit, and attached to your spirit, God has given you tools and, and the Bible calls it your soul. And that consists of three things, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind is not who you are. Your will and your emotions are not who you are. Those are just tools God has given you. So it's good to know that just because you're feeling a certain way doesn't mean that's who you are. Isn't that good? It's good to know that your feelings can't run your life anymore. Okay, emotions can be a, are a good thing. They're a blessing, but they don't control us. We don't make decisions based simply on emotion. We make decisions based on the promises of God, right? So you're a spirit, and attached to your spirit is your soul, and you're living in your physical body, all right? When Christ returns, if he comes back today, then these physical bodies are going to be transformed into supernatural glorified bodies that will never die. That's going to be uh, something beyond we've ever dreamed of. But right now, our spirits living in this physical body. And not only is there more to you than meets the eye, but there's more to life than meets the eye. You're a spirit, and in this life that we're living, there's a spirit realm. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? There's a spirit realm. And in this spirit realm, you will find answers. The spirit realm is where the power is. It, it existed long before the physical realm ever did. 
The spirit realm is where the power is. It's where the answers are. It's where healing is. It's where wisdom is. It's where God's provision is. It's in the spirit realm. And when you put your faith in the promises of God, your faith pulls what's in the spirit realm into the physical realm. I have, uh, what is that Webster dictionary we have? 1865? 1828, the, very, the first one. We have in our home the first Webster Dictionary, uh, American, yeah, from 1828. And I remember, I think it was in there looking up faith. And he likened one of the definitions unto uh, a uh, word, I don't know if it was a Latin word, but rope. Faith is like a rope. I thought, boy, isn't that something? And that's exactly right. Faith is like a rope. In other words, here I am in the physical realm, but when I choose to believe that Jesus bore my sicknesses, carried my diseases, and with the stripes that wounded him, I have been healed, it's like wrapping a big rope around that truth, and my faith pulls it into this realm, and it becomes a reality in my body as I continue to pull on that thing. I continue to pull on that thing, and it begins to manifest in my body. And I've experienced that many times. That's with, with any promise of God. But it's in the spirit realm, and faith is like a rope that pulls it, into the physical realm. So don't let go of the rope. Keep standing, right? Your, your, your confidence carries a great reward. Isn't that what Hebrews says? Right? Hold steadfast. Hold on. Don't give up on your confession. It carries a great reward. It carries a great reward. Hallelujah. So because we're spirits... And because there's a spirit realm, and that's where the answers are, we, we want answers. You have a destiny. We need answers. You have places to go, and you have things to do. And we can't be playing religious games. I don't have time for it. I did it for the first part of my life, and I'm done with that. I don't have time. I've got things to do. I've got places to go. And listen, man's religion won't get you there. Man's religion will not get you to your destiny. So important to understand that. So we experience the transforming power of Christ when we move aside man-made religious ideas and we embrace the real Jesus. You thought, well, I thought, I thought you know, going to church that we learned about the real Jesus. Not necessarily. I was in church for probably 18 years, and I didn't learn much at all about the real Jesus. I learned a lot of man-made religious doctrine that didn't do anything for me. I'd, I had no wisdom and insight into spiritual things. I didn't even know how to, to rebuke Satan. I didn't know how to take authority over things. But I knew a lot of, of religious teaching that had been around for hundreds of years. So when we move that aside and we start wrap our arms around the real Jesus, a transformation takes place. And that's what we're talking about, this transformation. Transformers more than meets the eye. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. So are you willing to do that? Are you willing to push aside that 500-year-old tradition? Yes. And grab a hold of Jesus? I mean, that's, you know, there's some fear there, right? What are people going to think? What's my, you know, what, what, what might my family say if, if I don't go continue in this tradition? Will I be rejected? Maybe. But it's worth it. Oh, is it worth it? I wouldn't trade Jesus for anything. I wouldn't trade him for anything. 
So religious leaders didn't create you. They didn't make you. Political leaders didn't create you. Man didn't make you. You didn't make you. Your mom and dad didn't make you. God did. And do you know that God determined that now was the time for you to be on earth? He knew learn your options needed to happen now. Isn't that amazing? He said, now's the time for you to live on this earth. And I have a purpose and a destiny for your life. So if you want to discover your destiny, if you want to begin living life as the real you, then you need to enter into a relationship with the one who made you. That's when life begins. When your heart and God's heart become one. That's when life begins. And you know what? That's why the Lord invites us to taste him. We had a song playing in the van this morning. Mariah played it. What was it? Psalm 34, 8. Fred Hammond. Taste and see. I said, oh, that's the verse for the day right there. Yeah, the Lord invites us to taste him. Listen, it's time to be you. It's time to be the person God created you to be. It's time to stop being afraid of man. To stop being afraid of peer pressure. And to stand up and embrace Jesus. It's time. It is time. It's time to accept the Lord's invitation. I mean, that's what the Bible is. It's one big, fat invitation to experience God. That's what it is. It's like, come to me and receive everlasting life. You can sum up the Bible with that one statement. It's this huge invitation to know him. In Genesis chapter 2, God begins to reveal himself as Jehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh. And as we're spending time together, I want to kind of, let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here right now. Thank you for illuminating the eyes of our heart. Reveal more of Christ to us. We're relying on you for answers and insight and wisdom and direction. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. So as I, uh, each week as I I pray and and say, Lord, what do you want to do this week and what do you want to say, I felt the Lord uh, impress upon my heart to talk about his um, unstoppable desire for you to know him, this invitation he's given us in the word. So that as when we look at these religious doctrines, and we've looked at a couple of them already, right? The first one we looked at, was this religious doctrine that says um, that you have to atone for your sins, right? You have to go through this sacrament and this ceremony and this ritual, and you've got to do this, this, and this to try and make up for your sins, right? That's the first one, and that comes in many shapes and sizes by many different names. It's, I call it basically self-atonement, right? Your, your works. But, but we realize that that's not true because Jesus atoned for all of your sins 
and he bore all of your punishment. He bore it all. There's none left over for you. Okay? All right, so that was the first one we talked about. Last week we talked about baptism, what real baptism is. It's becoming one with Christ. Okay? All right, so we're going to get into some more, but before we do, I felt the Lord wanted me to just take some time and, and focus on his nature towards us, that he is inviting us continually to come closer. All right, that's what it's all about. That's why we're pushing these religious doctrines aside so we can come closer to him. So God reveals himself throughout his word. He's revealing himself regularly. And way back, I think it's in Genesis chapter 2, we see Jehovah for the first time. And it's a very powerful name of God. And it literally, it can be traced back to the verb to be. But if you study this name out, it's very powerful. It literally means, or it carries this connotation of not only to be, but to become known. In other words, God says, I am the God who reveals myself unceasingly. When he says, I'm Jehovah. I'm the, I'm the maker of heaven and earth, and I want to reveal myself to you unceasingly throughout the rest of your life. That's what Jehovah means. Isn't that amazing? So there's an open door right there. So it's a very different picture than what religion paints. Right? Religion paints kind of a God that's, that's distant and foreboding, or you can't get too close. But the real God says, come closer. I'm the one who desires to reveal myself to you more every day. Jehovah. And then throughout, we'll see how much time we have, but he, 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 he not only says, I'm the God who wants to be known by you, but then he puts a, a description on the end of that. He says, I'm Jehovah Jireh, or Yireh. I'm the Lord who wants to provide for you unceasingly for the rest of your life. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Yeah, it's an invitation, right? I'm the, I'm the Lord who has seen ahead of time what your need is going to be and already provided it, Jehovah Jireh. And then he says, I'm Jehovah M. Kadesh. That I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. I'm the Lord who makes you holy. H-O-L-Y. You know what the word holy means? If you study the, the, the English word, it comes from the word whole. W-H-O-L-E. That's really different than the religious idea of holiness, isn't it? Wholeness. I'm the Lord, your wholeness. <laughs> I love it. Sets you free, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because religion makes us think that, that holiness is this, right? But God says whole, holiness is wholeness, right? Jehovah Nisi. God, my miracle. My banner in victory. Jehovah Rohi. I'm the Lord who wants to shepherd you for the rest of your life. I want to care for you. I want to feed you. I want to lead you into green pastures of plenty. I want to keep you beside waters of rest. 
Jehovah Rophe, Rapha. I'm the Lord who, who is your physician. I'm the Lord who not only heals you, but keeps you well for the rest of your life. I'm Jehovah Shalom. Remember that word, right? Wholeness, well-being, prosperity, peace. I'm the Lord, your peace, your wholeness, your prosperity, your well-being. Jehovah, not sure how to pronounce this one, Sabaoth, S-A-B-A-O-T-H, but it means Lord of hosts. He's the God of the angel armies, and he's commanded his angels to do what? Psalm 91, to protect you, right? Psalm 91, we talked about it a little bit last week. He's commanded his angels to protect you. So he's the God of the angel armies, and he exercises his authority over his angels to protect you. I like that. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is right here, right now, for the rest of your life. The Lord who's present with you, right? He's present with me. Boy, that's different than religion, isn't it? Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, my righteousness. Wow. And there's many, many more names of God. El Shaddai, we know, right? As I'm the Lord who's more than enough. It, it can literally mean the Lord who's the many-breasted one. In other words, I have abundant provision and nourishment for you, more than you'd ever need. So God is this, the one who wants to reveal himself to you unceasingly. He wants to um, see this transformation come about in you daily, where you're experiencing more of his love, more of his joy, more of his peace, more of his provision, more of his strength, and, and, and he's taking you from glory to new levels of glory, from strength to new levels of glory. Now, God's not the only one who's given invitations. Do you know that, that man's philosophies really are invitations? There are man-made philosophies and man-made religions that are really invitations to taste something. In other words, these philosophical ideas or these religious ideas are inviting you to believe something, to adopt a way of thinking into your life. And if you haven't realized it yet, please let me help you. Man has fallen short. Every idea that man has falls short. Every belief system that man has created falls short. Christianity is not man-made. Now, there are some versions of it. There are some uh, religious doctrines. But Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. Right? He came to bring us into union with the Father, a relationship. So if you haven't realized that these man-made philosophies fall short, and if you haven't realized that this world that we're living in falls short, do you know the world has nothing for you? It's good to realize that because you can be on an endless search if you don't know that. And I was talking to someone uh, uh, recently, who had who'd been, lived in many different uh, large cities in different countries of the world, and said that to me. He said, you know, I realize the world doesn't have anything for me. And it's true. The world has nothing for you. And God realizes that all of these invitations that you're being presented with 
falls short. He knows he's the way. Isn't that what Jesus said, right? John 14, 6, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And he knows that if you'll just taste him, not religion, but him, the search is over. All right? If you'll just come to him and taste him, the search is over. So let's go to one of my favorite invitations, Psalm 34, verse 8. If you want to be transformed, just accept the Lord's invitation. Just take him at his word. This is fascinating to me, this little verse. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Not how confused, not how broken, not how stressed, but how blessed. The word blessed, if you trace the word history of that, you know what it's associated with? Bliss. Bliss. Perfect happiness and great joy. How perfectly happy. What great joy has the man who takes refuge in you. Now, look at that first part of the, vo- the verse. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Why does he have to say that? I mean, why does he have to invite us? Why would we ever think that God is anything else but good? You know why? Religion. Religion has taught us otherwise. You see, there are spirits of darkness in the spirit realm that are trying to distort your image of God. They're trying to confuse you so that you won't experience this blessed state of trusting in Him. So this confusion and this distorted image of God has primarily come through religion. I'm sorry, but it has. We might as well just... Remind you again of kind of a little bit about me. Part of my calling, yes, I'm a pastor and I'm talking about religion confusing people. It's true. But I've got that, uh, what do you call it again, that uh, external defibrillator anointing uh, where I say things that are kind of shocking. But one of the things that that God has, I believe, uh, called me to do is to turn people from religion to Him away from man-made ideas and bring them into relationship with Him. And sometimes people look at me funny and I understand that. But I've got to say what I, I, I feel I'm called to say. So we're not putting people down. We're talking about ideas. All right? And ultimately, they really don't come from people. There are spirits of darkness involved and those people are well-intentioned sometimes and they don't understand what the sources of their ideas but look what 1 Timothy 4.1 says. This is the Apostle Paul who was taught personally and privately by the glorified Christ. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Wow. 
So these spirits have an agenda to seduce you. And doctrines of devils. The Living Bible says it this way. And become eager followers of teachers with devil-inspired ideas. Ouch. Bible's pretty plain, isn't it? Right? I'm glad. Well, what's a devil-inspired idea? Good question, right? I'll tell you. Anything that pulls you away from the simplicity of faith in Christ. That's a devil-inspired idea. Anything that pulls you away from the goodness of God. Like what we talked about two weeks ago, this self-atonement idea, right? Uh, Religion's got a bunch of them. It, it, It paints this picture of God that's confusing. It'll say, well, your sins are forgiven, but you've got to go through this system of penance, right? Well, yeah, your sins are forgiven, but you've got to do this, 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 and this. But, right? It says, uh, well, God loves you, but he made you sick to teach you something. Right? I've heard that one before. God loves us. Sure, he loves us, but that little child died of that disease. That little child died in an accident because God needed another flower for his garden. I mean, what kind of twisted horror story is that? That's, where, that's like Alfred Hitchcock on some kind of psychedelic drugs. A God who kills children and plants them in his garden. Duh. I, I'm going to serve a God like that? Are you kidding? But this stuff comes from pulpits. And it's written in, 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 in doctrine. And adhered to by millions. See? Well, faith in Christ saves you, but you have to be baptized in water. We talked about that one last week. Right? Well, faith in so, so you're transformed when you kick that big religious butt out of your life and embrace Jesus. Amen. Religion's full of butts. Right? You don't need them. Move it out of the way and embrace Jesus. I, I saw, uh, I was reading somewhere about something online, it was about a minister's qualifications, and talked about studying theology at such and such a place, and I thought, isn't that interesting? When they say studying theology, it's really not, stud- it's really not theology. Theology literally means a study of God. But what it really is, is a study of man's ideas about God. <laughs> That's really what they learn oftentimes in seminary or it's in theology school. They're studying man's ideas about God, and that won't get you there. Because man falls short. I don't need man's ideas about God. I need God. I need 100% Jesus. And I'm not going to settle for anything less. And don't you either. So the Lord wants to remove this confusion from life. So he says, taste me. Taste and see that I'm good. I'm not like what man has said. I'm not like those statues that are stone and cold, like those stained glass windows that are hard and break if you touch them. I'm alive and I'm living and I'm breathing and I want to make myself known to you. Taste me. Come on and taste me and find out how good I am. The message says open your mouth and taste. 
Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed, bliss are you who run to him. So we're running to him. There's nothing passive about this, right? We're, we're, we've forsaken man's religious ideas and we're passionately running after Christ, right? We're all in. We're all in. The New Living Translation says, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. New Century Version says, examine and see how good the Lord is. You know what examine means? Inspect in detail. Investigate thoroughly. Don't ever accept anything any pastor ever tells you. Examine it. Go to Jesus. Look at Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Does what that minister said line up with the ministry of Jesus? If it doesn't, toss it. Because Jesus is Lord. Right? He's the healer. He doesn't make kids sick. He heals them. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. Don't miss it. We're going to hit that one head on. All right? Hallelujah. Examine and see. Inspect in detail and investigate thoroughly the nature of God. I like that. See how good he is. Happy is the person who trusts in him. I'm so happy. The Living Bible. Oh, put God to the test. He's not afraid. And see how kind he is. Oh, I wish I knew God was kind when I was a kid. Woo! I wish I would have known he was kind when I was a teenager. How can you go to church for 18 years and not know God is kind? Because what they're telling you is wrong. I'm done with that. See how kind he is. See for yourself the way his mercies shower down. On all who trust in him. Now, this sounds all like Jesus to me, this Psalm 34. Are you ready for just a crazy invitation, a Jesus invitation? All right, we're going to do this. Let's go to John chapter 7. Now, this is, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. But the invitation of all invitations, I mean, the culmination of God's nature is Jesus. He's God in the flesh. So when Jesus came to earth, I mean, forget Hallmark. This was the greeting card of God, right? This was it. This was living, breathing God in the flesh. Here I am. And he started his ministry at about the age of 30. And it was at that point after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit that God began to be revealed through him like never before in the earth. And here's a a chapter in John chapter 7. Well, let's read it first, and then, we'll, then we're, going to, we're going to break it down. John chapter 7, verse 37, we'll start. It says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Invitation, Right? He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's not talking about H2O. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. John helps us out in verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given 
because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right? The Holy Spirit couldn't come until after Jesus ascended to the Father. What's happening here? Holy Spirit, help us get a picture of what's going on here. This is so powerful. Jesus stands up on the last day of the great feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last feast on the calendar of the Jewish year, on the, on the calendar of feasts. And he stood up on the last day, which was the celebration of all celebrations. Let's read a little bit about this. So I want you to get the picture of what he's actually doing. It was in the midst of a celebration that he stands up and invites people to come to him. I'm going to read to you about this feast, and there's some uh, uh, different sources. I'll read those as we go. But it's said that tens of thousands of Jews would come to Jerusalem for this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And you know what the Feast of Tabernacles was for? It was to remind them of when they, God set them free from Egypt, and they were living in tents, right? You know, God never wanted to dwell in a tabernacle. He wanted to dwell in us right? So I, I see it as a reminder also that I want to dwell in you, not in a tent, the Feast of Tabernacles, all right? But tens of thousands of Jews from, from all over would come to Jerusalem for this feast. And this is from a Jewish man, David Brickner, and he writes a, an article called Finding Jesus in the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is what he says about it. He said, God gave the biblical festivals to teach his people about his character and help them understand his plan of salvation. The Feast of Tabernacles, that's what's going on when Jesus is standing up, is an eight-day festival that begins at sundown on the first day of the feast. The Gospels record that our Lord Jesus not only celebrated the festival, but he took traditional elements of the celebration and applied them to his own life and mission. We find this particularly in John 7 and 8 where Jesus uses two traditional symbols from the Feast of Tabernacles celebration, water and light. In chapter 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. We're gonna, this is pretty cool as we keep reading. To help the people understand who he is and what he offers. Let's keep reading. You see, at the end of the first day of the feast, the temple was gloriously illuminated. Now put yourself there. This is pretty cool. According to the Mishnah, part of the oral tradition of the rabbis, gigantic candelabras stood within the court of the women. Each of the four golden candelabras is said to have been 50 cubits high. It's about 75 feet. Just imagine that. Candelabras that were about 75 feet tall each candelabra had four branches, and at the top of every branch, there was a large bowl. Four young men bearing 10-gallon pitchers of oil would climb ladders to fill the four golden bowls on each candelabra, and then the oil in those bowls was ignited. Yeah, that's huge. Picture 16 Beautiful blazes leaping toward the sky from these golden lamps, 75 feet in the air. Remember, give you an idea, about 10, 10 feet is a story, right? In a home, about 10 feet, 8, 9, 10 feet, so it's up there. Um, remember that the temple was on a hill above the rest of the city. 
So the glorious glow was a sight for the entire city to see. This is prime time, folks. Hello. In addition to the light, Jesus knew what he was doing, didn't he? Levitical musicians played their harps, lyres, cymbals, and trumpets to make joyful music to the Lord. What a glorious celebration. All right, let's move on here. In order to understand Jesus' teaching here, we need a background, a bit of background from Leviticus 23. There, Moses instructed the people that the first day and the eighth day of the festival were to be special days of rest, set apart from the others. But the seventh day becomes known as the Hoshana Rabbah, the great day. My people develop special observances and traditions to mark the special, this special day in Israel. The most spectacular of all during this seven, eight-day celebration was the water-drawing ceremony, which is where Jesus is about to make his announcement, at the peak, okay? This is like the Olympics, Super Bowl, World Cup, all in one. And Jesus is going to stand up. Imagine a whole parade of worshipers and flutists, musicians, led by the priest to the Pool of Siloam. Does that sound familiar? What happened at the Pool of Siloam? Do you guys know in John chapter 9? Right, the blind man came to Jesus to be healed. Right, he put mud on his eyes and he told him to go wash in the pool and he was healed, wasn't he? He could see. To this pool, okay, they go and draw water where Jesus, yeah, where Jesus led the blind man, told the blind man to, to wash his eyes. The priest has two golden pitchers. One's for wine. He fills the other with water from the pool. As the flutes continue to play, a choir of Israelites chants Psalm 118. Can we put Psalm 118 up there? Do we have it? So, so just you got the scenes, these massive glowing torches lit, music going on, priests coming with golden pitchers to the pool of Siloam, and they're all singing, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Keep going. Let's go through the whole song. Oh, let Israel say, his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, his loving kindness is everlasting. For my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. That's Jesus. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will surely cut them off. This is a song going on now. They surrounded me like bees. They were, oh, go back there. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was following, but the Lord helped me. Have you ever felt like that? The enemy's coming against you like a swarm of bees. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Whoa, we can go on. We're going to stop here time-wise. But you're getting the picture here, right? God is our salvation. This is what's, what's echoing throughout Jerusalem on the top of the hill with blazing torches and instruments, right? What a scene. Wow. So 
The whole procession heads back to the temple through the water gate. A trumpet sounds as the priest enters the temple area. He approaches the altar where two silver basins are waiting. He pours wine into one of the basins as a drink offering in the, in the, to the Lord and water from the pool of Siloam into the other. The whole ceremony with the parade and the flutes and the singing was such a joyful occasion that one of the ancient rabbis wrote, Anyone who has not seen this water ceremony has never seen rejoicing in this life. <laughs> this is big. It's huge. It's the party of parties. All right? Adam Clark's commentary talks about this, and then we're going to finish up here. He says, um, excuse me, one second. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Pool of Siloam. So Adam Clark's commentary gives us some insight into the Pool of Siloam. Um, he says, what was the function of the Siloam pool during Jesus' time? Because the pool is fed by waters from the Gihon Spring, located in the Kidron Valley, the natural flowing spring water would have qualified the pool for use as a mikvah, for ritual bathing. What's a mikvah? It's a bath used for the purpose of ritual immersion in Judaism. So a mikvah uh, was something that the Jews would use when someone wanted to convert into Judaism. So they would go into the water, and it was symbolic of their old identity dying and their new identity coming to life. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds baptism, right? So the, the water from that pool, this, this, this water qualified to be a mikvah. It was also used, a mikvah was also used to achieve purity. Purity, okay, to achieve purity. It was used to symbol conversion. And it was also used to, um, to immerse newly acquired utensils used in serving and eating food. So it was, it was believed to be a water that cleansed, that made new, that converted, okay? So it's in the midst of this great celebration where this water's coming forward from the, the pool that, that converts and makes new and, and cleanses and makes pure, that Jesus stands up. Now, here's the thing. Jesus said to that man, go, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man went, and he was healed. Do you know what religion would do? Religion would then make a shrine out of that pool. Religion would put that water in bottles and, and, and sell it, Right? That's what religion would do. Religion would then begin to exalt the pool of Siloam. Do you want to know something? It wasn't the water in the pool that healed that blind man. It was faith in the words of Jesus. Jesus told him to go wash in a pool. The man thought, is he crazy? I've been in that pool, you know, my whole life. Why would I go back there? But he believed that if he did what Jesus said, he'd be whole. So it's faith in the word of Jesus that heals us, not a special pool. Okay, now I might get in trouble for this one, but I'll say it anyway. Now, I, I, I am thankful. I, I'm, I'm so thankful. I've been to Jerusalem, I, I think, twice. I, I, I try, I, it was a period of my life where I traveled so much, I almost didn't pay attention to where I was anymore. But uh, I was in Jerusalem, and people talk so much, wait till you go to Jerusalem, it's going to be so amazing. And it's a beautiful place. It is. But they talked of it as if when you go there, you're going to be changed. And so I got there. And I'm walking the streets, and this is where Jesus did this. And, and I'm thinking, this all pales in comparison. Do you know why? Because Jesus is living inside of me. He's living inside of me. I don't care where I'm at in the world. Nothing compares to having God living inside of you. 
You can put me in the Red Sea. You can put me in the Jordan River. That's all fine and fun and interesting. But God is living inside of me. Exalt that in your life. You don't need to get to a special place to be changed. God is living inside of you. So here's Jesus in this special place, this special moment in the, in, in the whole spectrum of time. And he stands up in the midst of the party of parties and he says, I'm what you're looking for. Come to me. I will cleanse you. I will transform you. I will make you pure. I will make you new. Rivers of living water will flow from your spirit. Hallelujah. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, not the pool, right? Not the candelabras, not the trumpets. In me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And to me, this rings of Romans. Let's put the last scripture up, then we're done. Romans chapter 8. Jesus saying, come to me and you'll be transformed. Come to me and you'll be made clean. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 14 in the message. Same thing. But for you who welcome him, you who accept his invitation, for you in whom he dwells, you yourself experience life on God's terms. Once you taste this life on God's terms, you won't be looking to go anywhere. I enjoy traveling. I enjoy going to different nations. It is fun, and it's interesting, and you can learn things. But it all pales in comparison to having God live inside of you. There's nothing like it. Your search is over when you taste Him. 11, if it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, He'll do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with his spirit living in you. Your body will be as alive as Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 12 said, don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in religion for us anymore. We've tasted Jesus, and we're never going back. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. Your spirit beckons us this morning to come up higher, to turn towards you and to allow you to reveal yourself to us. And we do. Right now, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear our minds, and we say, Jesus... Be Lord of our hearts. Be Lord of our minds. Be Lord of our thoughts and our imagination. We give our whole self to you. Transform us. Take us higher. Take us deeper. In Jesus' name.
At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.